The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The Pure Hoops Podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops Podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops Podcast, Thursday, June 24th, BJ Armstrong, Eric Newman, NBA Conference Finals. The Atlanta Hawks up 1-0 on the Milwaukee Bucks. The Phoenix Suns, wow, up 2-0 on the Clippers. We will be talking out of bounds, Ali Oops, shortly. Before that, my man, how are you doing? And uh, I see uh, I see the Larry Legend addition to the space. Uh, how, how's the room coming together over there? The room is coming. The, the 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 studio is coming. Working on my sound, working on my lighting. You know, just playing around with it, working and setting things up. So, got to get my depth all together. You know, you know the routine. You you know how you do it. So it's all good. A little I, basketball. I, I, you know, so it's all good. I, I think I think your your overall versatility is is underrated. I mean, you, you 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 were so used to the office setup, which was great, and now you're you're diversifying and you're setting up the home office, and um, you know, hopefully soon uh, I'll see you in person at some point. Uh, absolutely, out here in L.A. You know, absolutely, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there, but um. Still hoping for a pop-in from a special guest. I'm not going to tease it until he comes on or if he gets in, but he's a busy man. So until then, um, I just want to start with how refreshing and exciting it is to have Bucks, Hawks, Suns, Clippers in the conference finals. Like, I absolutely love it, and I think back to when you were in the league and, you know, obviously the Clippers uh, – Playoff appearances when you were in the league, I believe it was two years, one with Mark Jackson, one with Doc Rivers. Uh, but when these other teams are good and it ties back to different moments in their franchise history and different players, and just to see Milwaukee back at this level, to see the Hawks and, of course, the Phoenix Suns. And, um, you know, despite uh, the punches being thrown in the stands in those games in Phoenix, uh, there's a certain level of excitement and passion that is really shining through um, through the television. I can't imagine what it's like in that arena. And, and you, of course, could speak to that uh, from your 93 finals appearance. But um, I want to get your reaction first on the beginnings of both of these series. Um, let's start first with the Atlanta Hawks stealing game one on the road. And uh, specifically, the Trey Young and John Collins performance. But... We're going to jump right into it with our special guest, 2007 NBA Coach of the Year, NBA veteran of the Minnesota Timberwolves and Indiana Pacers, and NBA TV analyst, along with NBA Sirius Radio co-host, the one and only Sam Mitchell, talking NBA playoffs. He's in my television all the time. He's in my home yes. all the time. Yes. All in gray hair, yeah. Yeah, yes. that's you know, Zoom. Oh, Sam. You know oh, what? come on, Sam. It's, you know what? Oh. You understood what I had to go, what I have to go through to look presentable on TV yeah. now. 
<laughs> I realize why I do not do Zoom meetings or Zoom podcasts because I don't like going through all the special occasion, special occasion, Sam, special occasion. And I got to get that. I got to get that sign because I'm the coach. That's why. That's I just fantastic. wanted to see my guy, Sam. That's it. That's it. You know, I just wanted to see my, come on, man. I got nothing. Man, it's beautiful. You always teaching. You always teaching. You're in my home. I got my notebook. I got my pad. I'm learning about the game. Give me a job so I can teach. You know, BJ, what's funny to me is, and you know basketball, right? All these analysts and coaches on TV, if you go back and look at the play, first of all, everybody runs pick to pick. You right. know a back screen coming is point zero <laughs> point nine seconds. You you know that the guy that's supposed to blow up the play was Patrick Beverly. He was right. hugging the guy outside the lane. He right. guarded no, no, nobody. He's gone empty space. If he would have stood in the paint, because Zubat did a heck of a job fighting through the screen, mm-hmm. but Devin Booker drilled it. Yeah, Devin Booker got I, You know, I, I, I saw the play, and I was like, okay, in his defense, he was guarding Devin Booker. So it yeah. put him in a tough situation. He so didn't, I didn't. He couldn't, he couldn't bump. He couldn't bump. He couldn't bump. As soon as you bump, Devin, Devin Booker, Booker would. Yeah, that's and what I'm saying. Don't have time to get it off. So Nickers Batum played it right. right. Zubat did the best he could, he could because a bigger guy set a screen on him. But Patrick Beverly was supposed to be the guy on the weak side. If he stands in the paint in yep, front yep. of the rim, it never gets to that point. And then the only last thing, if you watch the play, the pass was perfect. The pass was, was still got there, right. but the pass was too interesting in his hand. Yeah, so was, you consider it, if Patrick Beverly would have done his job and been standing in the paint, Aiton could have got to the front of the rim because everybody else did what they were supposed to do. But at the end of the day, it was a perfect pass. It but, was it was perfect. Yeah. yeah. Pat Bev. All right, well, Pat, I just Pat, wanted to get my guy. No, we're going to include this. Pat Bev was – Pat Bev, if he just took two steps into the paint, he can still yeah, recover because, because the – yeah, I, I watched it yesterday. It's crazy. The ball at. Yep. There, there is no way he could have threw an inbound pass from that opposite corner all the way to the opposite corner. Nope. So, and I know Pat Beverly, he was standing outside the lane, but if he would have been standing in the lane, then yep. it, it would have disrupted the play because Aiden couldn't got to the front of the rim. Mm. Yep. Yep. Talking 2021 conference finals with special guest sam mitchell sam we appreciate you uh jumping on with the busy sketch um and being being that being that you are based being that you are based in atlanta and uh bj i was actually supposed to have dinner with sam um today or tomorrow but my atlanta travel plans got got uh got postponed so instead we've got him on the pod um Sam, the excitement around the Atlanta Hawks, before we get into the specifics around the um, the journey to this point, and of course the game one win, what has the vibe been like in Atlanta? And BJ and I were just talking before we started about how refreshing it is to have some of these teams this deep in the playoffs who haven't been there in such a long time. So what's the vibe been like in Atlanta around the Hawks? At first, guys, it was shock. People were in awe. They couldn't believe it. And then as, as, as they watched this team, because I think people were beginning to believe the nonsense that people in, out inside the NBA were spewing about Trey Young. You know, I tell people this all the time. Go back, and, and BJ noticed, go back before Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan. 
They used to kill Mike. He's selfish. You will never win with him. He's this, he's that. And this guy won a national championship at North Carolina. So those talking heads, the same ones that kiss his butt and say he's the greatest, used to lambast him and kill him. Fast forward, they was killing Trey Young. He's too little. All he wants to do is score. He's not tough. He's not smart. Luca's this, Luca that. Okay, and I kept saying to people, just wait. Trey Young didn't have any talent around him. Okay, now you go back and you look at that draft. Every those te those teams all picked the right players. The team that didn't pick the right player was Sacramento. Atlanta got it right. Dallas got it right. And Phoenix got it right. The team that didn't get it right was Sacramento. So when you look at Trey Young, man, look, Trey Young may be, he's that combination of a smaller size of Isaiah Thomas and Steph Curry. Now think about how lethal that combination is. Mm. He's got the handle, the quickness and the speed, and the shooting ability, and well, scoring ability of Isaiah, and he has the shooting ability of Steph Curry. Now, when you factor in the fact that he has a baby face, but he's a killer on the inside, and the fact that, see, the thing that's blowing my mind, BJ and Eric, everybody's guarding him for the three. No, you need to guard him for in the paint. He's doing his work and damage in the paint, and I picked Atlanta against the Knicks in five. I picked him against Philly because I just didn't feel like Philly had enough shooting and enough scoring, and I picked him to beat Milwaukee because I don't see who is Milwaukee going to put on Trey Young? He blitzed Ben Simmons in the playoffs. Now, Ben Simmons is supposed to be a first-team all-defender at 16. Trey Young at 6'1", blitzed him. So if Trey Young at 6'1", can't guard him, and this is the thing, the only defense you're going to have to play, you can play against him, you got to trap him. Now, I'm not saying you got to trap him for four or five seconds, but you got to hit him, get the ball out of his hand, then deny him the ball, and then you got to make others become facilitators and playmakers. And until teams realize that, go back in the game seven of Philadelphia. The only time anybody ever trapped him was the last two minutes of the game, and Dot did it, and it was effective, but it was kind of too late at that point to do it. So, look, we were shocked. The people were shocked in Atlanta at first. Now they're starting to believe. And after last night, this city's on fire. And people not only believe in that they can beat Milwaukee, People are starting to believe in Trey Young and that he's the real deal and that, hey, man, I, I am so happy for Nate. I'm so happy for Travis. And more importantly, I'm so happy for the city and the state of Georgia and the city of Atlanta because God knows we needed something, some good news after what we've been through with COVID. You know, Coach, I, I, I want to ask you a question because you mentioned these two, two rounds. We saw the first round against Coach Thibodeau who is, you know, he has a reputation as a great defensive mind in the NBA. Doc Rivers, you and I both know him, played against him. We've watched his, he's won a world championship. But my question is, as a smaller player, former player myself, is how do you, how do you guard these smaller players? And you coached in this league. Now, I've seen now for two series, in the New York series and the Philadelphia series, they have this sink with the bigs against Trey Young. As a smaller guard, we're not going to tell anybody, just you and I talking here, Sam. I want options as a little guard because I want to be able to go left, right, and do all of those things. 
why are teams not respecting the fact that this young man can not only score, but the thing that makes him really unique is that he's had assist games of 17, 18 assists in a game, which is just as lethal as his scoring ability. Why are teams electing to not trap him or at least give him different looks? Because last night, it was obvious to me that he, he caught a rhythm. He was, he was going away from the screen. He was crossing over guys in the screen. He was coming off the screen shooting. He was doing step backs. And the one thing you want you we don't want to do is allow a great player to be great. Why are teams defending him in this fashion? Can you explain that to me? Because teams are afraid of the unknown. Think about this, BJ. Go back to the Brooklyn game seven when Kevin Durant gave the ball up. They had the best defense against him when he brought the ball up on the sideline. If I was defending Trey Young, I would force him to the left side of the court and try to get him as close to that sideline as I can. I would load up on that side. I would have two guys as safeties in the paint, and I would dictate where I want that pass to come. Because Trey Young is small, if you get high hands and don't let him get past you, he's got to put air on that pass. That's going to give my defense a chance to bump my defense back and get to those shooters, right? But teams are so afraid because he's torturing them. They're letting Trey Young dictate what he wants to do and not dictating to Trey Young. You got to change it up. You got to hit him at times. You got to trap him at times. I would bring in my smallest, quickest guard, go back to back in the day when we played. What did the Lakers, was it the Lakers when they put Ty Lue on Allen Iverson? Uh, right, it right, wasn't right. that Ty Lue could stop him, BJ. It was just Ty Lue at that size and quickness. He could keep up with him and he could harass him and he could tire him out. So I would do a combination of things like that but I definitely wouldn't let Trey Young play in the comfort zone that he in right now because teams are so afraid. But the biggest thing that they're missing, if you get him early, look what look what Ty did to Utah. They started trapping Donovan Mitchell early, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which made Donovan Mitchell have to give the ball up early to Rudy Gobert. What could Rudy Gobert not do at the at the top of the key with the ball? He couldn't dribble or make a play. And it gave the defense a chance to get back to Gobert, and he was like a fish out of water. So you got to try to do some things like that. You got to get the ball out of his hands. You got to put some different people on him. You got to cut off the court. You right now they're letting Trey Young have too many options. You got to cut off the court, and you got to limit his options. And I think what's also lost here is that besides Kevin Herter, um, Who's the other guy that's going to put the ball on the floor and make a play for the Hawks? Because Bogdanovich is playing on one leg right now. I mean, he's got he's got no gas. He's got no explosion. And to both of your points, this guy is shredding teams with the pass and, of course, with his scoring ability. So, Sam, you hit it on the head. They're afraid of the unknown. I mean, you, you've got to trap and make them, make them play out of it. See, see if they can make a play four on three against your defense rotating and recovering. Um, I, I think that's interesting. And then obviously, you know, Holiday is supposed to be the guy who's able to guard Trey, but every time you switch, I mean, that, that matchup is over and, and you've got big small out there and, and you're dealing with that. Let me ask you a question. If Ben Simmons can guard him <laughs> and he could space him at 16, BJ, this is nothing that blows my mind. People say play off these guards. Well, if you give a point guard that's smaller and quicker and faster than you, you give him a live dribble and you are stand, a stationary target, can you defend him? 
No, because even if you guess right and there's contact and you're moving, it's a block. So I coached TJ Ford. And at first, TJ Ford, you'd be like, coach, they're playing off me. Good. Get a head start and go by them. TJ, they're guessing. And once that light bulb came on that, hey, these are stationary targets. Think about it. You got Brooke Lopez them backpedaling. Well, PJ, if I'm a guard coming at you downhill, <laughs> you on your heels. I'm going to go to the point to where I want to shoot and pull up. I've never seen anybody block a shot on the heels. I've never seen a guy jump or get his hands up on his heels. And that's what teams are missing. You got to break these guards' momentum before they get down here because once they get down here, it's over. Similar to uh, similar to Rondo in his prime. I mean, he they they play him heels on the free throw line with the Celtics daring him to shoot, and he'd get a full head of steam and get wherever he wanted to go. BJ, of course, could shoot the ball, so he didn't have as much room <laughs> back in the day. Um, BJ, I just want to throw the next question out for Sam because he also alluded to the other talent on the team. Um, how impressive has the John Collins-Clint Capella combination been for you and how perfectly do they fit in with Trey and the shooters and, and how the Hawks like to play? I think for the Hawks, first of all, you got to have two guys that can play above the rim. And Capella and John Collins can do that because Trey Young is lethal with those passes for lobs when they get behind the defense. But if you look at John Collins, the thing that I like about him, I think as his game grows and his maturity and he gets into his body, I think John Collins can be a lot more like Chris Bosch than what people think. Right now, he is a, a, a pretty good three-point shooter and mid-range shooter. I would like to see him put the ball on the floor a little bit more and attack the basket more because he's so athletic and get out in transition. But those things are going to come right now. But when you watch him, the way he's playing, the thing that I'm impressed with the Hawks, BJ, and, and guys, is that their defense. Mm -hmm. They are defending. Milwaukee can score. Right. They are defending. They're rebounding with a much larger, much more physical team in Milwaukee. And if they can stay even on the glass, and if they can keep their defensive intensity up, they can win this series. Now, look, I'm not going crazy because it's one game. And you got to win four in the series. The BJ, I tell you, series can flip on the dime. They mm -hmm. do all the time. But if but if Milwaukee don't figure out how to contain Trey Young, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Because if you're just depending on him missing shots, that's not gonna happen. Because he's not afraid of shooting over those two seven footers in Giannis and Brook Lopez. You know, hey coach. You know, if, you know, if we can switch gears here a little bit, go out to the West Coast. You know, the Clippers are down 0-2. I thought they had a, a great opportunity to possibly they the get a game. They, they, down. they down here. Tell me, what do you, what should we be looking for in game three, game four? And do you think they can actually come back and win this series? They've been down 0-2 in every series. Well, BJ, I don't think they can win the series against Phoenix because this is a different animal. Look how good. Now, I'm going to give Ty a lot more, a lot, even more credit. He figured out in game two how to almost steal that game. By putting Patrick Beverly on Devin Booker, it made Devin Booker work bringing the ball up. And you know this, DJ. Yeah. If I put a guy on you to pressure you, it doesn't bother you because you've been used to that your entire life. Right. You've been your size and playing point guard and been pressured mm -hmm. your life. But Devin Booker ain't played point guard all his life. And after game one, they let him get too comfortable handling the ball. That's why mm -hmm. they, they put in Patrick Beverly, and he made it tough and he took his offensive scoring ability away from him because he had to manage the game. Now, game three, Chris Paul comes back. 
I still think the Clippers are going to win game three because they have to. They're going to throw everything they have. Game four is when we're going to see more of Chris Paul's influence on the game. Mm. I think uh, Phoenix is going to leave L.A. up 3-1, and I think they're going to close them out. I just think as great a job as Ty Lue has done, as great as Paul George has been, and look, for all the people who was killing Reggie Jackson, Thank you very mm-hmm. much. I said this three months ago when they were kept him out. The Clippers need a, another guard. Reggie Jackson did. Hey, man, if, if Ty Lue, like he did, went to Reggie Jackson and said, I need you to do A, B, and C to play, or you can sit here and do it your way and not play, which one are you going to do, BJ? I'm going to do what the coach <laughs> tell me to do. I'm gonna play. And Reggie Jackson is going to get paid this offseason because he's been lights out, but without Kawhi Leonard. If Kawhi was playing, they would be my pick to win the championship. But without mm. Atlanta, I just don't think they can beat Phoenix, man. Phoenix is good. Booker, Aiton, Chris Paul, they are good, man. And I just think, I just think that's just too much to overcome. You're talking about 25, 30 points with Kawhi Leonard efficiently. Right. And then you look yeah. at the rebound and assists and defense. It's just too much to overcome. Hey, Coach, I, I want to ask you a follow-up to this. You know, this playoffs has been this has been it's been odd to say the least. I mean, there's things going on and from the bubble to now, these last four teams, who you got winning the whole thing and why? Look, man, I see Vegas got Milwaukee. It's something about Milwaukee that they should be the favorites. I mean, you got Giannis, you got Middleton, you got Drew, you got Brooke, you got Shooting, you got an experienced coach. But I'm going to get an edge, man. Look, I'm going to say Phoenix. It's Ooh. something about Monty. Yep. It's something about Aiden. Look, I've Chris been Paul's a, time. Yeah, Chris Paul. But I've been a Devin Booker fan since the day he's coming to the league. He is, even though he has his baby face, he is a killer. And he wants to win. And he's been getting beat down and overlooked since he's been in the NBA. And I think he he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. He's got a city. And I think he, <laughs> he's using this moment to prove to the world this is his coming out party, that he's one of the top three two guards or one of the top 15 players in this league. And I would say after this playoffs and after the finals, when he hoists that trophy, he won't be an afterthought for an all-star team going forward. He will mm-hmm. be voted in by the fans or the coach. So I'm going to give the edge to Phoenix right now, man, because I just believe in, look, they beat a hell of a Clipper team without Chris Paul. They're going to get Chris Paul back and Aiden playing with, with uh, energy. And then if you look at their bench, their bench is a lot better than what they think. And BJ, you know this, people keep saying they're young. Well, sometimes being young and dumb and not understanding the moment <laughs> mm-hmm. is better than being an old, wild, and veteran that understands all the pressure and what you actually have to lose. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a nice mix there with Crowder, uh, obviously. And then the youth of bridges and, and, uh, and Aiden in the middle. And then of course, Chris Paul and, uh, the others, the other part of the Phoenix story that I love is just Cameron Payne and what he's been able to bring to the team. And, um, I don't know if you guys saw, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cameron Payne, Cameron Payne was in our gym every day working out for two hours with Penny Hardaway. He was out mm. of shape. He was overweight. And the, and I and I used to sit in my office and look out the window over the court and watch him. And I asked Penny, 
P, is he going to get it back? He said, we're going to find out. The first two and a half weeks, all Penny did was set the ball down and run him. I mean, he ran him into the ground. And, and, and Penny would do it because he wanted to see if, if, if Cameron was going to come back. Every day at the same time, around 1130, Cameron walked in the gym. And every day for two and a half weeks, for two hours, Penny ran him in the ground. And finally, they started doing basketball work. So I saw this young man go from hit the bottom, and I saw every day with no fanfare, him coming at gym at the University of Memphis and work with Penny Hardaway. So it does not surprise me. His attitude is 100% better, his conditioning, and the fact that he's seizing the moment and his humility and how thankful and grateful he is to Monty and, and uh, James for giving him this chance. Look, man, if you look at their future, they bring back Cameron Payne with Chris, because now you already got Chris back up. You already got Chris. When Chris mm -hmm. slows down or walks away, Cameron Payne ready to step right in and keep this train rolling. So, man, I saw this with my own eyes every day. So he's earned everything that he's getting right now. That's a great story. Sam, while we have you, uh, one thing BJ and I like to do from time to time is uh, go back to our favorite decade of the 90s. And being that you guys both played in some fierce playoff series, um, usually I put BJ on the spot. Today I want to put you on the spot. And uh, one of the most underrated conference finals, I think, ever, but specifically of the 90s, is one you participated in with the Indiana Pacers in 1994. Uh, against the New York Knicks. Can you take us back to that series and how fierce it was, that matchup, the style of play, the trash talk, the personalities, and just how competitive that was? Man, when I say this, and BJ understand this, when I say <laughs> we hated the Knicks and they hated us, we hated them. I was at a party in the offseason in the summertime and a couple of, in Atlanta, Georgia, my state, and a couple of Knicks players came. And I left the party to go get my boys because we were going to start a fight. We not stand the day. So when you talk about, look, we used to sit in the locker room before the game. And this was our mantra. I don't care how many fouls you have in the first quarter. Anybody come to the hole, you take them out. Period. Because our team was deep. Larry Brown could go 12 deep on our team. So we were going to take them out. And we had another rule. Every time they hit Reggie, no matter who it was, we didn't hit the guy that hit Reggie. We took it out on Patrick. And we would tell Pat, every time we thought somebody hit Reggie a little too hard, we'd come down on Patrick even harder. So <laughs> we hated each other. And we knew the first team to 90 points were going to win. <laughs> we yeah. Our meetings were, look, no layups, none. See, I don't care if you got three fouls in the first quarter. If you're in the game and somebody drives to the hole, you put them on the ground. Forget a foul. They had to hit the ground. <laughs> hey, man, I, I didn't start liking guys that played for the Knicks. It had to be 10, 12 years later. I would be Charles Oakley was the first guy to start that stuff filing people after the whistle was blown. Oakley <laughs> lay you out, man. And they would never call it. Yep. So, so, I mean, we just hated each other, man. And the thing about it is I'm glad the rules have changed because it wasn't basketball. It was survival. 
Like it was literally survival. And the one thing that we did used to say all the time, if we could force the Knicks to play basketball, we felt like the Knicks want to roughhouse you. And Lad Brown wanted to play basketball, right? He wanted free flowing. He wanted hands off, ball moving, popping, you know? And if Pat Riley wasn't gonna let you do that because Pat Riley knew the team he had, they couldn't play that way, right? They had, we had ballerinas. They had guys, I don't know what you call them, flogging <laughs> in the mud or running on the beach and sand. And Pat Riley understood that if the game became down to skill and basketball, we blow them off the floor. So, but we understood the only way that we could stay in the game with them, we had to try to match their physicality because physically we wasn't as, phys as physical as they were and they weren't as big as they were. So it was really a stretch for us to step outside of our comfort zone to plan and to do that in order to combat what they were doing to us. Yeah, you know, and, and don't and let, let's just wait a minute here. Like, let's not sell you guys short. I mean, the Davis boys, yourself, Hayward Workman, <laughs> Vern Fleming, Rick Smiths, Reggie, like Derek McKee. Like, yeah, you guys, player. you guys were ball players, but you guys were tough, physical guys. <laughs> yeah, and, we were. But dude, yeah, look at yeah. me. Yeah, oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah Patrick, Patrick, Charles, yeah, Mason, Anthony Bonham, Anthony Bonham, yeah, Paul Smith. Maze, <laughs> dude, we had yeah. some. We okay, we had guys built like 18 wheelers, long and powerful. They had guys built like Sherman tanks. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but here's the thing, though, you know, you know, I, I try not to talk about that era that much, but I would tell you something about that Indiana team, they were nice guys. And all those things. But there wasn't a time that Sam didn't miss his opportunity to establish that they were just as physical as any other team in the league. And he you are absolutely right. I had to BJ. I didn't have yeah, to yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. But you 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 and the Davis, all the Davis boys, that was a great team. And the thing I love and listening to your story makes me laugh. Without question, I'm glad they cleaned up the game because <laughs> I don't even know how I survived. I was maybe a, a, a 185 soaking wet back then. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you something. When every time I see somebody, you or Oak, the respect that all of us have for one another when we oh, see yeah, man, each we other. went through it. Because we, no, that was, I expected for you to hit me. And I expected that. Like, it wasn't like, I didn't need to fight you. No. I knew you was going to hit me. Yes. And when you went to the basket, you knew I was going to foul you. Yes, you, <laughs> you knew and that. And that's the funny thing about it. There was like, there was a mutual respect where now a guy get hit down, he want to fight. They yeah. want to, like, like I knew Sam was going to come over and he was going to try to run me over on the screen. <laughs> hey, PJ, you know what night, man? You know, people didn't mess with Derek Coleman too much. Right. I chased Derek down, Coleman down one night, and I hacked him hard. He turned around all pissed off, and he saw me. He was like, oh, oh, Sam? Oh, okay. Because he knew that's what I do. I wasn't going to give you no help. He knew that, like, like we knew Oak was going to lay you out. Lay you out. That was understood. What you surprised. That's what Oak knew. So you just get up 
and keep it moving. <laughs> it just makes me laugh because everybody <laughs> understands that. It's just like, yeah. what's wrong with that? Like, okay, and that's what he do. I'm going to find you after the whistle. <laughs> and what he's going to do, he's going to take every opportunity to give you a cheap shot. Every opportunity, so you knew that. So part, you know, of, part of the game, part of the culture back then. Let me ask you guys this. I mean, obviously, the timing of Pacers-Bulls, you guys didn't play in the playoffs when you were on the respective teams, and the Pacers and the Bulls didn't play in the playoffs until that great series in 98. But what was a memorable Pacers Bulls battle because obviously before MJ retired the first time the Pacers were on the rise starting to challenge in the playoffs and then obviously this year we were just talking about with the Knicks the Knicks have to get through uh BJ U Scotty Horace and the Bulls first and the Pacers were on the other side of the bracket I think you guys beat a good Hawks team in the second round to get to the conference final Sam if I if I'm correct but um what what were some memorable Indiana Chicago moments when you guys were on the floor uh, facing off head to head? Anything come rushing back? Well, I remember the, the two games I remember BJ is when Mike came back. People forget when Michael Jordan's game first came back, wearing number forty five. That game was in Market Square Arena. Yeah, I remember that. And remember that, that they they issued more media credentials for that game than in, even in the NBA Finals, and they gave out earplugs before that game, it was so loud. And they was telling people not to bring the, their children to the game. I remember that game, but the game, and B, I don't know if you was there then, we were playing, playing you guys at Old Chicago Stadium. And we were up late in the fourth quarter, like four minutes ago. And I think Reggie was at the free throw line, man, to put us up by like 13. And I was at half court, and you know Mike used to be back there with his hands on his knees, pulling mm -hmm. his shorts down. And I used to, you know, the only time I could talk trash to Mike, I had hair then. <laughs> I used to And I used to tell him all the time, no matter how great you are, you ain't got no damn hair now, right? <laughs> so I looked over at him and I said, hey, bald head. We got that ass, we came in here and got that ass tonight. He looked at me, he said, Mick, man, I ain't even started playing yet. Y'all scored 19 <laughs> by five. I learned at that moment, leave all head alone after that. <laughs> I never told my teammates that I was talking trash to them back then because they would have killed me. You the reason why they went on that show like that. Uh, Sam, you know, it's so many stories like that. You know, something I don't even try to explain him. Um, he's He was an incredible, incredible player. But what I remember most about you guys was that y'all were deep. Y'all yeah. were big. I mean, you and Derek McKee, Reggie, you know, Reggie was 6'7". Yeah, people forget Derek Reggie's 6'7", Derek McKee's 6'10". Yeah, Derek McKee. 6'7", You know, I mean, y'all were just a big team. You had, you know, the Davis boys and the Duncan Dutchman. He was like 7', what, 3', 7', 4'? I mean, seven, three. you know, Verve Fleming was there. I mean, what, y'all had Poop Richardson? Yeah, Mark Jackson. I mean, I just remember y'all was like there and y'all provided us to me with a, a massive challenge because you and Derek McKee matched up against Scottie Pippen as well as anybody in the league. We used to like playing against, man. We used to, we used to like playing y'all, Eric. And the only reason we didn't play them early because we understood you didn't want to play them early. You want to play them in the conference mm -hmm. finals. 
Yeah, yeah. I wanted yeah, to play yeah. them for the chance to go to the finals because, look, man, ballhead went losing. <laughs> if you were gonna get him, you were gonna get him in the conference finals or the finals. But ballhead went losing them first round. So we knew, no. we knew that if you were gonna get ballhead, you had to get him in the conference finals right. or the finals because he wasn't gonna get. He, look, Mike was not gonna file out in the first two rounds, and he was gonna get to the free throw line. We knew that. <laughs> like you had to beat the Chicago Bulls back then, and we understood it, man. And that's the way it was supposed to be. They were the champs. You had to beat them. BJ, BJ, safe to say the toughest Bulls series you were in before the conference finals was that 92 Knicks second rounder that went seven when X-Man was still on the Knicks. And, uh, and yeah, it was, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, God, it just seems they so all mesh together. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. No, together. but to, yeah, to, was... to Sam's point about the conference finals, it's interesting who you see along the way. And we had gets, the ultimate respect for these guys. We had the ultimate yep. respect for these guys because defensively, Sam is dead on. It was like literally the first team to 90. Like you actually had to grind the game out. Like everybody could score, right? You know, like, and, and, and Reggie, it wasn't so much that Reggie played off the dribble. Reggie forced our best player to stay at home. Because Michael, he could roam. He could roam around. And Sam and D Derek and Reggie were good enough to keep those guys occupied. Because you know this, Mike wasn't gonna leave Reggie because he like, go, he couldn't leave, he couldn't leave Reggie. You know, you know I'm like, yeah. back then, if it was personal. You want to shut that guy down. Yeah, Look, yeah. You man, the best players looked at each other and went at each other back. Then. Yeah. You, they wanted to play against Reggie wanted to play against Mike. And Mike yeah. wanted to play against Reggie. A wide step on the floor. Like we right. wanted to play against, like I love playing against Scotty. He was better. <laughs> I wanted to play against him. I mean, because if I outplayed him, it elevated me. That's how we looked at it. Y'all was y'all was Y'all were a problem because y'all could establish in the post with the Dutchman. The, the Dutchman to me was like, we do the first plays of the game. We go see what he got. And if he got running and rolling, uh, it was a long, it was a long night. And y'all bench was tough. Yeah, we were deep, man. We had 10, we had 12. Y'all bench was tough. Y'all bench was like, Sam, like you was finishing games. Y'all had y'all was coming off the bench you like finishing games. The league ceiling was on that team, and he didn't even get to play that. Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Mm. Y'all first was, round pick. Yeah, that's so, right. That's man, right. It was always tough, man. It was those those were good times, man. You know, it's it's funny to hear Sam every time I talk to these guys. I always think like, God, man, what an era. <laughs> it was, it was, well, it was and and era. I want to I want to end with one more question about how the the era transferred from mid '90s to late '90s, and and BJ. Um, you know this. I mean, Sam and I connected because of the the KG film, and Sam had such an impact on Kevin when he went to Minnesota and and KG arrived there, and this spirit and this passion for competition and playing against the best obviously is something that Sam had a hand in instilling in KG. So, Sam, I just want to ask you this: this is something we didn't really talk about extensively, but. You know, you talk about the Davis boys and Oak and Mace and Barkley and Malone and the and the five men of the era. And then what was it like not only being alongside KG as he's evolving, but seeing him 
at the head of the snake, as per se, evolving that four-man position. The skill set, the versatility, playing both ends, and then seeing Duncan and Weber and Wallace follow because they all had that competition. They all had that passion, but now they're coming to the table with the athleticism and the skill set to, to match with it uh, at another level. Well, see, Eric, I'm glad you made that. People don't understand the names you just mentioned. Look at the guys that Kevin had to grow up against and play against. And I remember a conversation he and I had his rookie year because he was in awe of all these guys, right? Because Kevin is a historian of the game. He respects the game and he respects people. And we just went down a list of Duncan and Rashid and C-Webb and all these power forwards that were good. And I remember telling him, I said, look, man, you better, you better develop a healthy disdain for these guys because you're going to be competing for all-star team, championship, first, second, and third team, all-NBA. You're going to be competing with these guys for the next 15, 20 years. And they are all good, and y'all are all young, long, and athletic. So you better figure out how to gain an edge when you compete against these guys because, man, it's going to be a war tonight. But the thing to me that separated him from a lot of guys was that it wasn't just his attention to detail. Kevin obsessed about knowing everything about his opponent, all his strengths, all his weaknesses, even to the point of things he knew to say to you to get you off your game. Because he realized, I used to tell him this all the time, KG, remember, no matter what you do, after the first swing, we're not going to let you fight. Nobody's going to let you fight. After the guy swing, and now, in today's NBA with the fines, oh my God, it costs too much money to even think about it. So mm-hmm. that, that, just understand, it's just all talk. But man, his attention to detail and learning about his opponents and their weaknesses and how to exploit it. I mean, when he came into the league, man, film, his film study. BJ, this boy used to get up in the morning in LA and run at four o'clock in the morning. Mm. He read that somebody used to get up at five and he wanted to be an hour ahead, not a few minutes ahead, an hour ahead. He was just obsessed with being the best. And so to me, man, I remember the first practice, me and Doug, we had a water break after about an hour. And we were sitting on the bench and Doug, we kind of looked at each other at the same time and we started laughing and said, man, we're going to tell our kids we played with the Hall of Fame, Kevin Garnett. Mm. Now, you started on the first day, Sam? First day. BJ, he won every drill. He won every sprint. He won every rebounding drill, every shooting drill, anything that was competitive. My, my, my seat is sinking right now. <laughs> everything that was competitive, he won. Everything. You know, you know, Sam, it's one thing here, and but we want to recognize it here is the game is better off with players like yourself, you mentioned Doug West, Terry Porter. Because Kevin Garnett had an opportunity to learn from a pro like yourself. And we want to make sure that we recognize that here because you don't see that now with these young players. They don't get a chance to be around pros and what you went through and be able to pass on that knowledge because now guys like yourself, guys like Doug West, Terry Porter, those that's the, that's the core of the NBA. Those guys were pros, pros. And and Kevin Garnett, what he learned from you, that edge, with that talent, but with the things you passed on to him, that's what you get. 
Hey man, hey, I respect that man. Appreciate that. And uh, no, no, because you know, because being in that locker room, there's been a lot of talented guys that you and I have been in the locker room. Man, coulda, woulda, shoulda, oughta. But when you see a young man and he has an opportunity to learn from somebody like yourself, Sam, it's invaluable. It's invaluable. And I've always known that. I've always known that about about you. You know, Trent Tucker would always tell me about the impact you was making, and I would just follow it from afar because I knew Kevin growing up in you know Chicago a little bit. Yeah. And uh, man, it's special. It's great to hear those stories and uh, to know that the impact that people like yourself has made on the game because. Kevin Garnett, man, what, I mean, what a what 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 a talent, what a talent. When I got drafted in '85, I was the last cut by the Houston Rockets, and back then they had me out there about three months in the summer working out. And right. the experience, but the thing that that stuck on me was John Lucas, Allen Level, Ralph Sampson, Hakeem Olajuwon, man, Robert Reed, Chris mm. Lloyd, them veteran players, man, Mitchell Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins' father, they treated us rookies so good. I mean, they treated us great. I mean, they took care of us. I mean, yeah, we did our rookie stuff, but the veterans looked out for us, man. Yeah, yeah. Look out. They wouldn't let you get in trouble. They tell you what to do. They were trying to help you. And you compete against some of these guys for a job. Mm -hmm. And they would help you learn stuff to make you better. That's right. And... Man, I just learned from those guys, man. And John Lucas, I was his rookie. He he and Akeem. And John Luke used to make me call him Big Lukey every day. He's shorter than me. He's smaller than me. You know you short guys like to walk up on Yeah, 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 we do. So I still come to me. Every time I see Dream, I'm still his rook. Every time I see Ralph, I'm still his rook. And right. every time I see John Lucas, I still call him Big Lucas, Lucas, because those guys took care of us, man. They treated us good. And Eric, that that's that's the NBA, you know, guys like Charles Davis, the impact they made on a young player like me, Craig Hodges, and those guys just showing me how to dress, how to pack, yeah. how to how to catch a cab to the airport, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's just like little things, but you know, that was the old NBA. Sorry to reminisce about it. But those are great stories, man. Those are no, no, good dudes. It, good dudes. It, it, it prompts. I want to ask two things. One, Sam, how close were you to making that Rockets team? Because that's the Rockets team that ends that's up a, upsetting you in the last cut. Last oh, wow. That's the Rockets team that goes to the Who's finals. Bill, was Bill Fish the coach? Was Bill Fish the coach? Yep. Bill Fish was the coach. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Last but cut. That, guys, the way he he called me in the office. And he called in Steve Harris, who was a first-round pick. And he took a lot of time in doing it. And i never forget, he asked me, he said, you know, told me he got to let me go and, you know, the reason why. And he asked me, he said, do you think you can play in the NBA? And I had tears in my eyes screaming down my face. I said, no. And he said, why are you saying that? I said, die, you cutting me, just like that. <laughs> and he said, wait a minute. He said, Sam, there's a lot of decision of reason going to me you're not making this team, and it's not because you're not good enough. Hmm. You're not, it's not because of that. It's because of this, and he laid it out. But he also, the last thing he said to me, don't let me or anyone else tell you what you can or can't be. If you want it, go get it. Mm. Love that. And, Love and, that. and when I became a head coach, when I had to release players, 
always took time and called them in my office individual and I left them with a positive message because if Bill Fitch would have told me something different, I might have walked out his office and quit and gave up. But because he did it in a way that was so encouraging, it just mm. gave me, I'm, I'm like, if he thinks I'm this close to making it, I can't give up. Right? Little did I know it was going to take me four years later. <laughs> but think about it. He gave me enough encouragement to keep me going. And okay, people say, well, it took you four years, but I played until I was 40. So was it worth it? I think. Mm. That's a great story. So let, let me ask you both this, because Sam, we've talked about this before. We're talking about it here on the show. BJ, we've talked about it. When did the veteran mentor-mentee vibe relationships, when did you start to see that change in the league? Obviously, the league is younger now. The, the, the culture around it is different. There's player development stuff. There's more people on the staff. But when did that veteran mentor mentee with the younger players when did that start to shift away from what you guys both experienced well for me i just think you know you had a lot of young teams and teams started losing to give those young guys experience and they just stopped playing the veterans all together and when you do that bj i'll tell you this look you can still do that and still keep that veteran at, on the stature of that team that he needs to be by manipulating the minutes, by playing the young guys more. But when you cut a veteran needs off on a losing team that's developing and you don't play them all, okay, look what OKC did to Al Horton. I understood it. He wasn't in their plan, but you're telling me Al Horford couldn't stay around that team and play 15, 18 minutes a game and teach these young guys how to play, how to be pros and all this stuff because they coach is young. So who's teaching all these young guys how to be pros, right? And people can say, well, the coaching staff. Well, at the end of the day, players are going to listen to the coaches about certain things, but they're going to listen to their teammates about others. Who's in that locker room? And then if you got some veteran players and they're not playing at all, are the young guys going to respect them and look at them and like, look, man, yeah, you're talking, but you're not getting any minutes. So there's a way to do it without minimizing a veteran's voice. But I just think you got so many young coaches, BJ. They, they're, they're trying to establish themselves. They don't know how, and then you got a lot of young coaches. They don't want veterans in the locker room because BJ will tell you this. If you're messing up as a head coach and you got veterans in the locker room, oh, they're going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you're coaching grown men. They are going to tell you. And sometimes it's going to be nice. Sometimes it's not going to be nice. Sometimes it's going to be in private. And sometimes it's not. And you got a lot of young coaches and young GM. They don't want to deal with that. But if you look at the teams that got veterans, look at their young players and their development, and look at their teams. Look what Chris Paul has done for DeAndre Ayton. Just look around the league, and you look at the veteran players and the impact they had on some of these, some of these young players, and, and, and you look at the teams that are full of all young guys, and look at how dysfunctional they are. Hmm. You got it, Eric. There it is. There it is. There it is. There it is. There, there it is. Sam Mitchell, my man. Thank you for joining us today. I know you got to go do radio. This was great, yep. buddy. 
My pleasure, guys. Thank Tim, you. Tim, it's great, you. man, and seeing you. Appreciate you. Play, my man, thank you for hey, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing and what you're gonna do. And you always in my living room. So hey. used to be a GM somewhere. Oh man, that's you. You you should be coaching right now. That's Sam, you. Sam, I Sam, I keep I keep telling him uh the BJ Eric Newman combo would run a heck of a front office with Sam Mitchell <laughs> with Sam Mitchell on the sideline. I I, I think and, and people forget you taught John how to do the job. <laughs> I don't want to say that, man. Nothing against John, but John was on TV and radio, a TV. You were you was learning on the chair crowd. Right. right, Sam. The so, Sam. The problem. Sam. The problem here is this guy is so damn humble. It 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 just kills me every week. He's so humble. Hey well, man, I'm watching. We go hire Sam. Uh, well, we know who our coach is. Right he's here. Right here. <laughs> he's right here. Two thousand. Sam. Two thousand seven coach of the year. Correct. Yeah. He's man. right here. He's right here. Uh, we'll All right, guys. Take it easy. Okay. All right. Okay, Thanks, Sam, Sam. Be good. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thank you. BJ, I'm so glad we were able to get that time with Sam today. Oh. Um, it's literally like I'm like obviously appreciate getting on here every week with you. And we've built up a, a great connection and, and chemistry over the last two and a half years. The blessing that like this, the people I get to meet because of basketball and filmmaking and production and the conversations I've had with Sam since we connected um, about a year ago um are are unbelievable and to to get the vibe from you guys and to go back into that time machine and and those stories um super special so i'm thrilled uh thrilled we we uh we made that happen and i got to be a part of it oh man sam is the best you know coach you know you gotta call him the coach you know he's the coach yes and what a phenomenal phenomenal player what a great story he has and his impact on the game and um He's a he's a treat every time I watch him on television now and knowing that you know what he's uh he's out there he's available as a you know still coaching and active so it's great to see him here glad he came on and uh what some great stories he was able to share with us here on this episode yeah and I think you know obviously the the fun stuff and the physicality of the 90s and those rivalries and the kg stuff like all that stuff is is incredibly entertaining and fun but the the inspiration of his journey and being the last cut of a team that goes on to the nba finals meaning the 86 rockets and then sticking with it it wasn't like he got cut and latched on it wasn't like there was a g league back then like he had to go overseas he had to go four years before he got in the league and then right. to get there and stick um, and become a mentor and become a teacher. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an awesome story. And, and he's just, uh, he's just a great guy and I'm, 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 I'm thrilled to, to know him and, and to have these convos. So great job today, my friend, we've got, uh, we've got some exciting conference finals action ahead. So by the time you listen to this uh, game three, with the Clippers and the Suns will be a wrap, so it'll be 3-0 Phoenix with a commanding lead, or or or, or two to one, oh, okay. or two or, to one. Oh, okay. No, no, yeah, or okay. you didn't you didn't let me get to the or. Um, the clip. I mean, listen, the Clippers had game two, and as we uh, broke down uh, when Sam jumped on, um, you know they needed to do a better job as a team defending that last play, and of course, a great play drawn up by Monty Williams and executed by Booker, Aiden Crowder and the rest of the Suns. So um, we're going to have a great finals matchup, whoever comes out of these series, but we will uh, most likely be on again before that matchup is set. 
Uh, hope you enjoy the games this evening and weekend. BJ, great job today, my man. Special thanks, as always, to editor Kristen Woolley, the one and only Bruce Bernstein, and the entire Pure Hoops Media family. Check out the Mike Wise Show, dropping each and every Monday. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong on Wednesdays. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt on Thursdays. Pure Hoops Podcast with BJ Armstrong and yours truly, Eric Newman, each and every Friday. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay pure. The Pure Hoops Podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.